0: Okay, we're rolling. Rolling, dog is rollin' roll on We are here, you are not in We're happy that you're not, because if you were, it would be too damn crowded for all of us here. Yeah. So we're glad you're not here, but we're glad you're listening, because Old Fart is ready. The young wet ones are with me, and we're ready to fart along the trail. Yeah. That's right.
1: That's right. What's going on, Kev?
0: how a doing, lot? Parker? Just been having beans all day, so I'm okay. kind oh. of all set to have you guys oh, in man. quarantine with me, and we're going to have a lot of fun today, I tell you yeah, what. I mean right. some old farts are coming our way. I'm well, it means. could be some farts that an old fart is going to fart at you. Oh, Holy smokes! Look at, the one? look at there! Look at there! I like what? that! I like that sound. What do you got over there? Well, uh, it's cold. It's wet. It's real cold and real wet. Cold and brown. That's all I care about. Holy the, smokes! Uh, look at you, Red Hook, Big Ballard, Imperial. Is it Big Ballard? All I see is the B A L L part. Yeah, Big Ballard for the big baller. Oh, there you go. Oh. You know, at Ballard High School when I was a kid. You know, it's back, back uh, there. You know, back there. Where Ballard High School? Yeah, where oh. is
2: that? Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville.
0: Louisville. 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 That's how they say. Box of rocks in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Gotta have bo- box rocks in your mouth. So you know, one of the things, and and we are coming to you off of <laughs> Halloween week. Yeah, that's right. And. It's changed so much for the kids. I really feel sorry for the kids. You know, it's it's, it's all about the kids and the kids don't know anything anymore about the way it used to be. And that's why we have Old Fart Sports is to kind of share with everybody and kind of let them know some of the things that have been going on. And we're going to let people know what's going on in the world of baseball, even though baseball is now over. We're going to kind of give you the inside scoop of how the scouting programs work for different major league teams how a person gets in that position. We're going to talk with Paul Gale, who's been not only with the Houston Astros but also the San Francisco Giants. Mm-hmm. We're going to try to keep those Houston Astro comments to a to a minimum <laughs> because he was not there at that time. Okay. We're going to go see if we can get a hold of our good friend Paul Gale because yeah. Paul's been very patient with us while we've been doing shit and shenanigans mm-hmm. and it's starting to smell like shit. So let's go do some shenanigans. Let's be- do it. Is this Paul? Yeah. Paul, Kevin how are you doing?
3: Good, how you doing?
0: Not too bad. As the old fart of the three farts that you're talking to right now, I just want to say welcome oh, yeah. aboard on the Old Fart Sports. You're here with the uh, two young ones, the wet ones as they are, and that would be P. Huff hey. and Roar Dog.
1: Hey, how you doing, Paul? How you doing?
0: Good, we are good. doing pretty good. So we, uh, the three of us are going to triple team on you here and kind of mm-hmm. let you give us your rendition of uh, your world and Let's start with a couple of things. Is like uh, Talk to us about your history of baseball and, and uh, how you got into the game itself, uh, starting with your high school career. Did you, uh, as a coach, as a player, how did that transform for you?
3: Uh, well, I uh, got my college degree at the University of Idaho and uh, played there when they had a baseball program back in the 70s. And uh, when I was done, I just went to, uh, I wasn't good enough to play professionally, so I went and uh, started coaching in high school, and I got a job in a town called Yoncalla High School in, between Roseburg and Cottage Grove, down just off of I-5, mm-hmm. and uh, started coaching there and then doing summers and the Legion program down in Roseburg, and uh, it was a good experience uh it was a very good baseball town. Uh, back in the 70s, 60s, logging towns were always good baseball towns, you know, wherever you were in the Northwest. And uh, we uh, won a state championship there and had a lot of success. And I left there after a few years and, uh, went and got my master's degree in a few things before I went back and uh, we got another state championship when I went back and, and I was able to uh, get a job at um, Western Baptist College in uh, Salem, Oregon. It's now called Corbin College. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did the uh, baseball program at that NAIA school for about six years and uh, got to know scouts. This whole time I'm coaching, I get to know scouts. I had guys Mm -hmm. drafted at Yonkala and and, uh, started getting into the scouting world and ended up uh, doing some part-time stuff for the Kansas City Royals from uh, Jeff McKay. And then... uh, uh, an opening came with the Houston Astros, and so I got an area job scouting for the Houston Astros in 2005. So just kind of segued into it, you know, from coaching, uh, meeting people, and and uh, getting opportunities as you as you moved around.
0: Paul, one of the things I want to let you know is that Roar Dog is actually an Idaho guy. So when he heard that you uh, is that uh, what he, he's an Idaho guy? He's from Idaho.
1: Yeah, I'm from Lewis, yeah. Idaho, uh, home of the. Oh, you're- Lewis Clark State Warriors and Ed Sheff. Uh, Ed Chef you know Dwight name.
3: Church, was one of the uh, best baseball people in the nation. Uh, he ran the American Legion program there for years. So they had did. guys drafted all the time. Uh, them, They and Yakima, were Beatles were a couple of the top programs in the, in the Northwest. And Lewis was just an outstanding baseball town. Had a minor league team in it when I was growing up. Yeah. Uh, you know 30 miles away it was just it's a great sports town
1: yeah reggie jackson played for the uh, lewis and bronx at one period yep. of time and yeah and then you got a yeah. chef who who was there for many many years i think he won 17 titles right. with, the, with the warriors and never went on he never went on to another team amazing that he stuck around yeah. for so long yeah
3: oh. it was beautiful it was, uh, they were the uh oakland, a- oakland a's and uh, they didn't draw as well as the Legion team did. The Legion team would always outdraw them, but uh, it was a it was a great deal to have that. Uh, it's just a great baseball area for sure.
0: Paul, you were talking about Young Kala High School and the, the program there, and also about the the small little towns that often you would find some really good caliber athletes. Do you think it had a lot to do with the? Uh, the fact that they were young workers, I mean, you know, anymore you can barely get a kid to do anything other than play on his video game on his phone, but, you know, was that, was yeah, that I mean, the reason? I think
3: I think it, it did, and you know, when I got to Yonkala, uh, it, it, it had a kid drafted from his high school the year before I got there, I had a couple kids drafted, and you're talking about a high school of about 100 kids, uh, everybody in town played baseball in the summer programs. Uh, the, the better players could go on and play legion ball down in roseburg which had a it was like lewis and clark had a really good legion program doc stewart's and uh it was a different day you didn't have travel ball and you didn't have showcases and you know so the players played for their uh local legion teams and uh there were some really powerful ones throughout the northwest and uh, Yoncall, even if it's just a little town, we we really had some good baseball players. One on played college and professional, and uh, and uh, everyone there uh, loved the sport. Uh, I I think the the logging drying up has maybe hurt those communities to where they don't have that kind of uh, you know a support anymore, the kind of population to be able to do that. But back in the back in the early '80s, that was it was really big.
0: Well, and you being around that Roseburg area, that was really a hotbed at that time of uh, of baseball. Yes, and you know you were talking about the Legion program. Also, Eugene had a great Legion program. We're going to we're going to come back to Eugene because I know your fondness for that uh, town as well as mine. But um, talk to us a little bit about the situation of of uh, you know we we were kind of talking before the show about the intrigue of different areas of that uh, scouting, if you will. And how many visits would you have with a player before you would, uh, lack of a better term, list them on your list for preparation for a major league team? Did you have a certain number of times you'd see them, or once you saw them, you put them on your list?
3: Oh, when I was scouting? hmm Back then, when I first started out, you know, you were you were really going hard after uh, what everyone else would be, you know, just just good athletes, check out the tools. hmm Uh, run, hit, power, fielding, throwing, you know, you grade them on that. Uh, Just the projection in their athletic body, uh, you know, the hardest thing to tell, of course, for young players was if they'd be able to hit over a long period of time uh, as they would sign and and move out. Uh, I found that it was tough for kids in, in some more rural areas uh, that they're position guys, you almost need to let them go to college first so they could see better pitching before they signed a contract uh, because they just didn't see the level of pitching that they needed to in order to sustain, sustain success in the professional end of stuff. But, you know, from the some of the schools, uh, I to tell you, Seattle, Washington had a run there where they just really were putting out a lot of good players. They had uh, that draft out of Moses Lake with three Three kids got drafted. There was a lot of good baseball in the northwest uh at the high school ranks in the seventies and eighties. It's dried up I think a little bit from those days uh but uh about I see the Mariners got there about seventy what seventy seven so mm-hmm. about fifteen years after they'd been there and had of had an influence Seattle just really blossomed as a as a good baseball area, and it still does pretty good. I mean, you saw Snell pitch in the World Series
4: sure.
3: and, uh, you'll see it's quite a few guys from the Sal era uh john Lester uh so uh, it's still a pretty good area up in that way, but it was really in the nineties eighties nineties it really blossomed
4: hmm. Paul, this is uh Parker talking to you, thanks for joining us um one question that I had for you is is just kind of the evolution of the game over the last uh decade or so, you know, obviously. Average V-low's up with pitchers, and home runs and strikeouts are up with batters. Batting average seems to be uh, down a little bit, and there's all these new advanced stats. So uh, I was just wondering how the process of scouting a player has kind of evolved with the game in terms of the things that you look for and and pay attention Uh, to.
3: Yeah, you know, the analytics uh, influence came in. I was with Houston, and they were kind of on the cutting edge of that. And they were even on the amateur level really pushing a lot of the analytics and so with the use of video analytics things like that uh they're able to increase pitcher's velocities through training uh creating more spin rate uh different areas of uh of breaking it down video wise and being able to find arm slots and all sorts of things that can maximize the guy's movement and velocity and so because of that uh uh, you really saw velocities take off, not necessarily control, uh, but velos take off. And then uh, you saw guys uh, hitting-wise, uh, you know, the money was in hitting home runs. And uh, the feeling was that in a lot of the analytics departments, is that home runs is really the way that you win, uh, not, not putting together a lot of base hits. Uh, so the combination of those things has created a game where you've got high-velocity pitchers, uh, uh, with lots of movement uh, and uh, you've got hitters that are, are trained and tuned more into, you know, steeper launch angles, trying to hit home runs uh, and not, not being concerned about a strikeout. Like, you know, when I'm 62 years old, so when I played, you didn't want to strike out, you know, and, and now that's not really considered a failure. You know, it's more just part of your at bat is trying to hit that long ball. Right. Uh the other thing, there's a lot of economic reasons behind it also though. You gotta realize that uh that uh you draft velocity, you can rush it to the big leagues and it can have success quickly and so you get banged for your buck in a hurry if you do it that way. For mm-hmm. developing starting pitching is more risky. Uh it doesn't it doesn't necessarily give you a return in a hurry and it's harder to develop. So that's why, and it's and the most expensive item that a team can buy is starting pitching. So now it's more like, well, let's just develop a whole bunch of hard-throwing relievers. Uh, you don't have to pay them like starters. And, you know, they can throw in the, you know, it's nothing for those guys that throw in the mid-90s uh, with movement. And so that combination with everything else has created this uh, really high strikeout rate. And... uh a lot of uh, hitters now and uh, the shifts a lot of the hitters are just they're just trying to hit over the shifts and hit home runs uh, it's very difficult to sh- change your swing pattern and try to go the other way when a guy is still in ninety six right. if you're playing high school baseball and the guy is still in eighty four yeah you can do that you know mm-hmm. uh, but when it's high velocity and they're up in the zone and you're just trying to make some good hard contact, you really really difficult for you to, you know, try to shoot the ball the other way. Some guys can do it, but, you know, you don't see it very often, and and so that's kind of why you see in the strikeouts, uh, you know, the ball seems to be juiced, uh, so it's producing more home runs, Uh, so there's a lot of factors that are coming into play that have made it more of a strikeout home run type of game rather than, you know, what you're used to seeing from way back where you try to put together rallies with hits and stuff.
0: Paul, uh, in your career, you spent some time with the uh, San Francisco Giants after you were at the Houston Astros, and you also mentioned the Kansas City Royals. What similarities and what differences did you find as a scout between the the organizations that you were with? Was there uh, much from the- organization to organization? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Uh, the
3: I would say that uh, <clears throat> I was only part time with the Royals, but they were very they were very good on. Very much a part of just getting good athletes in. You know, they had their success back with those athletes that they like Frank White and Amos Ross They got out of those academies and, mm-hmm. and you know developed them into baseball players. Uh, and uh, I think that they were more that way. Uh, you know, my latter years at the end with Houston, they were very much uh, looking at college players through analytics, trying to find guys that they thought would be able to hit uh, through the algorithms that they wrote and the models that they wrote and you know, they would use that and traditional scouting combination to try to, to get uh, players that uh, uh, they felt would be able to produce offensively. And, you know, they had some success in later rounds getting guys that maybe were passed over because uh, the use analytics helped them, uh, help them find uh, players that were were hidden uh, and could achieve. So, uh, you know there there's different philosophies and i think they're probably changing i haven't been on the amateur side i've been doing the pro side in the last uh uh 6 years 5 years and so uh but i, I think that every organization is is uh changing yearly on you know developing analytics uh and uh using it along with official scouting to try to find the the best prospects
0: Gonna throw you a knuckleball here. Um, in your inner circle of friends and also colleagues, uh, is there ever much negative discussion about the Houston Astros? Was
3: there in my inner circle? Was there ever
0: what? Any negative conversation about the organization, the Houston Astros? And that's I, I mean, I we'll throw that I out care. there for. For obvious reasons, was there ever any negative response from your friends or colleagues about the Houston Astros?
3: Oh, the oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's the that's the that's the elephant in the room when you talk about the Houston Astros, isn't it? Uh, you know, uh, I I got a ring with them in seventeen, mm-hmm. but they 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 let go of their entire pro department in August. Oh wow! So uh, they just. Didn't want pro scouts anymore. They're just using video and and uh, you know other means to advance and to scout. So I wasn't really there uh, when uh, all the stuff was going down. Of course, as a scout, you're never. I was never around the team anyway, so I didn't know. You know, I, I, I didn't see him play except for uh, uh, as a pro scout. Not, I saw him playing spring training, but I never saw him playing the regular season unless they happened into him uh, on the on the road. So, uh, really, uh, I was kind of amazed when it all went down just like everybody else was. Mm-hmm. And yes, everyone was furious and, uh, upset about it, uh, in the game, other scouts, other teams, uh, the whole thing, because it was such a, uh, it was such a slap in the face to the game, you know, of, of, uh, how hard everyone works and you're working to, to win it. And, and the idea that someone would take an advantage like that was was really frustrating to people, uh, and I, I I felt I felt awful for my colleagues that were affected that had nothing to do with it, and yet they kind of had to wear it because you were part of the, you know, part of the org. Sure. But they've weathered the storm, and uh, I think they're going to be back, and they'll they'll be fine. Uh, they've uh, they really did a good job this year in the playoffs, and. Uh, you know, I like all, all those players. I rooted for them for so long that you know it's kind of I like seeing them do well, uh even though I know they'd had that scandal in the past. Mm-hmm. but I think they put together a good season, and Bessie Baker did a great job. I think uh the new people that have come in have really done a good job of of kind of just okay, moving on and let's get that over with That's was the old regime and tried to try to build up again the the franchise and you know hopefully they'll be able to do that'll be sure. able to uh, uh, keep some of those players and 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 continue to grow and and be competitive and I think if they can win one again uh, you know'll kind of answer a lot of people's questions and show that yeah those guys were pretty good players they legitimately won uh, when they were winning but that was pretty ugly for sure.
0: Uh, Paul, one of the things that uh, brought us together when we were originally looking at uh, your Twitter feed was uh, one of the things that was uh, troubling for you and I both was the, the fire that happened in Civic Stadium in, in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, you did mention the Kansas City Royals. I know that the, they were a farm club of Eugene at that time. Uh, Paul Gordon, or Tom Gordon, rather, I believe, it was one of the players that were there. Uh, you know, you look at the old Philly players, you look at uh, uh, Rob Dibble and Eric Davis also played there. But when that stadium burnt down, I I felt a piece of me just kind of leaving that would never be around. And in our previous discussions, you were talking the similar situation and your similar feeling of that. Can you share a little bit about Civic Stadium and Eugene with us and some of your memories you have from there?
3: Oh, man, Civic Stadium. That's my yeah, that's my, I love that spot. I raised my kids at Civic Stadium and Eugene. Uh, we, I would uh, coach Legion ball and then I'd buy season tickets to the Emeralds. So when I didn't have games, I'd go up and catch the Emeralds. And, you know, it's very unique. I've done a lot of pro coverage and been in a lot of minor league parks, but Eugene was unique because you were so close to the players and on top of the action because of the size of and the capacity and everything. And and so you you got to see the players and you were just right there. And and, uh, you know, a lot of times minor league t- teams draw well, but it's not about the baseball. You know, they got a circus going on between innings and and different things. And uh, with Eugene, it was like people were into the game, crack of the bat, roar of the crowd. It was just like you're in a big league game. You know, people were were watching that thing and and into it. And they still had all the giveaways and stuff but there were legit giveaways like, you know, bat day and hat day. And, you know, they weren't given, it wasn't some, you know, rip off type of thing. It was legit giveaways and there'd be long lines out front and you'd get in and smell the beer and the popcorn. And, and it was just, a, it's just a wonderful place. Very unique. I don't know that there's a lot of places like it. I've seen a, a few that draw real well and have a lot of action, but, but so often the ones that draw real well now, Or they they just have different activities. It isn't just about the baseball like it was in Eugene, and uh, and all the fun that was there and all the loyal fans. And uh, when it burnt down, I mean, I was sad. My kids were sad. Uh, You know, I have a son that he uh, he's playing. He's in the Dodgers system now. Well, he just finished out the year. He was on the taxi squad with the Dodgers, but but he said he got drafted by the Padres. And uh, his first professional team was Eugene. And he said that was like making the big leagues to him, you know, just getting to play for the Eugene Emeralds because he'd grown up, uh, you know, playing, winning the Prince Butler throw and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, uh, so it was very special. And I feel sad that minor league baseball is contracting because uh, I realized how important Eugene was to baseball uh, in that area. And, you know, to me and my family, taught the kids how to keep score, you know, you're, the whole thing. And, and you know, you're not going to have that now in, in a lot of towns around the nation. And I think it's going to end up in the long term costing baseball fans because they're going to lose the connection to the, you know, maybe they'd go and watch the Mariners one time a year or, go, you know, do something because of that minor league team that was in their town. And they may not do that now. And I don't think that, you know, college leagues can really totally replace what those uh, affiliated teams could bring and uh and boy civic stadium was beautiful how green it was and, and uh the wood the wood bleachers i'm surprised they didn't have to carry someone out of there every night with a line drive off the forehead uh, <laughs> how close you were and the way that it was seated up but it was a special place i also enjoyed really enjoyed uh up in portland at the stadium downtown i was you know going to games there and uh it was the uh, the Beavers were a lot of fun. Hillsboro's I I've been to Hillsboro. It does a real good job now too. But you know, something special about being downtown Portland is always uh there's always a great feel to it.
1: Yeah, speaking of <clears throat> baseball and in Eugene and Portland and, and Hillsboro, there wasn't any baseball in those towns this year. And I was just wondering if about your thoughts about any lasting effects on player development going forward in the 2021-2022 season because these guys didn't play any ball?
3: Well, that's a great question. Uh, So I imagine a lot of players will be released because they're going to shorten the uh, amount of teams that people have. So you'll have Dominican League and you'll have the Arizona League. Then you'll have low A, high A, double A, and triple A. So it'll be about four or five levels rather than seven or eight that there used to be, I imagine they'll release a lot of guys and push a lot of guys up to A ball. The tough part will be pushing guys up too far to double A, triple A. You know, at triple A, you have to have some big league-ready people. So you can't really do that uh, without development. So you can push to A and you can push to high A and to a certain extent extent double A a little bit. Uh, But uh, you're going to have to let those guys catch up and develop I think they've been running a lot of instructional camps uh, down here now, instructional leagues and stuff. And they're trying; they'll probably do some stuff in the spring to try to catch up players up. And a lot of the prospects in in uh, in organizations were at the, were on the uh, uh, the taxi squads or the extended alternate site places, so they were getting some development there. Uh, so I think I don't think you'll see a big difference in play, uh, but there might be some guys rushed. Uh, at the lower levels that will cause a little bit of sloppiness early on. Uh, Northwest League, I hear that they're talking about it becoming a low A league. Uh, so I don't, I don't think anyone will notice a difference because it will be basically the same players maybe a year later pushed or whatever. So right. I don't think you'll see, you'll see a lot of difference there.
0: Hey, Paul, we really appreciate you spending some time with us. And uh, good luck to you and your endeavors around the world of baseball. And uh, thanks for being on Old Fart Sports with a couple of old farts. And, well, maybe one old fart and a couple of wet ones. So thanks very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, thanks, Thanks, guys. So there you go, gentlemen. Kind of uh, a little bit of uh, what we were looking about and uh, looking for, and talking about the situation of him being a, a scout. And also some of his uh, findings, which, um, you know, there was a lot of interesting stuff that he delivered there. for. Yeah, him. yeah, that was a fun conversation. I mean,
4: it was really cool when you asked him about, you know, Civic Stadium and he kind of lit up and, and went into that. You know, you mm-hmm. could tell it really meant something to him.
0: He did. Oh, he right. did. You know, and one of the things that I found is I found a Twitter feed from Paul. And uh, it was of the fire at Civic Stadium. And if you're not familiar, Civic Stadium was a wood structure. It was where the Philadelphia... Phillies really kind of raised their uh, farm system up through there in Eugene. Uh, myself, I was personally uh, um, there quite a few different times. Uh, worked for that organization for about ten years. Saw a different uh, group of guys come through there, including Rob Dibble and Eric Davis, as I mentioned, and uh, Tom Gordon for the uh, Kansas City Royals, uh, Kevin Appier as well. So there was a few players there that I got to got a yeah. chance to watch them play there, but. You know, the thing about Civic Stadium, it was an old wood structure. Uh, it was second to none. It was really Americana, as you would see it back in the 30s and 40s, as baseball was a much different character than it is now. Now you see the, the I mean, everything's up to date and modern and everything, and obviously right. then it wasn't. One of the goofy things that happened there, uh, and just kind of a little bit of a story for you guys, is that, The time when OLCC actually abolished minor league baseball having beer nights happened in Eugene, Oregon. (laughs) And well, it was kind of a good reason, I suppose, (laughs) if you were the OLCC guy, why it happened. And he was in his suit, looked real nice, real charming and dapper, talking with the general manager of the Eugene Emeralds and. At that time, what people did at the ballpark is you would buy a bucket of beer with a little frisbee lid on it, and they gave you the number of cups for the people that were with you. So you'd go ahead and pour the cup and you know they stack the cups or the, the uh, buckets up. So they had these buckets stacked way up about 12 feet high, you know, progressively as the rows went up. And then somebody decided they were going to put a stale beer bucket on top. Well, unfortunately for the OLCC guy, Somebody took one of the Frisbees and threw it, and it hit at the (laughs) bottom of the pyramid, which then made the bucket go over the OLCC guy's head, and immediately there I saw the end of (laughs) beer nights in all of the state of Oregon from that happening. So that was uh, definitely uh, something I didn't want to see because, well, I was kind of having a little fun myself, if you know what I mean.
4: But he was 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 dodging that question about the Astros, wasn't he? He had to
1: be. I think he was. I think he was.
4: Oh, had to be. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't quite, want to talk about it. He knows co- some stuff. Quite the coincidence. He couldn't hear co- it. Winky he dinky. I'm right
0: <laughs> hey.
2: hey. 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 Hi, folks. It's PodLand's number one producer, Liam Flanagan, and I just want to let you know about sponsors. If you're a business owner or manager and you are looking for a great way to get your product out there, becoming a podcast sponsor is just that. Podcasts are listened to all over the world. PodLand has had visits from places like Kenya, Ireland, Australia, Vietnam, and almost all 50 states. What's up, Alaska? Don't you like podcasts? Anyway, Becoming a podcast sponsor could be the way to give your business the boost it may need. To become a Podland podcast sponsor, contact me, Liam Flanagan, at liam at podland.productions. That's L-I-A-M at podland.productions.
0: Old fart sports, and we're going to talk to the wet ones, and uh, we're going to go to Parker Huffman, P. Huff. Why? How'd you? Because you had a stellar week last week. We heard <laughs> you. You were putting them out there, and we were writing them down, and we wrote them down. Did he you five and zero last week? Something. How in like the hell that? did you do that? Huh? I lost
1: three hundred forty-seven dollars, you bastard. <laughs>
0: because you weren't listening to P. Huff. You were listening Gah! to some other clown on a podcast somewhere. Must have been. Boygan.
4: Yeah. Uh, well, you know, in all honesty, it just wasn't my best That's fake That's news. Fake That's fake news. That's fake news, and we news. all know it. Today know.
0: is the day that yeah. you know that that is fake news, yeah. that indeed you were the man that I gave out the reasons and gave all the correct answers yeah. last week. We know that for a fact. Yeah, I
4: know. Um, it was good. It was really good. Hopefully people are starting to listen to me. I... I since have lost uh, the paper that I put all my picks down on. So
0: I saw you put it in the shredder today. Really back at the office can't yes. really recap
4: it. That's okay because uh, I saw it. You were five and zero, oh, but okay. yeah, not a problem. So do you guys want to just hear about my picks for this week, or yeah? Well, sure. since okay. you don't
0: know what last week's are, right. and we did know that he was five and zero. Oh. <laughs> Listeners out there, you guys in Trenton, New Jersey, you need to know that. Those in Oklahoma City obviously know that. Yeah. And the 18 of you guys that sit on the couch and are in Anaheim, you know it to be the case as well. Yes. Rory, you heard it, right? I heard it. I, I placed bets. Just, just not the it. But huh.
1: this week, listen to Parker. Yes.
0: I'm a gambling man. I shop at Walmart. Good. Oh <laughs> well, because it's the closest place to my work. Sure. What the heck? Yeah. Well... We're in week nine
4: of the it, NFL doesn't season. Doesn't it fly?
0: We were talking about that last week. It, it just flies. It was week eight last week.
4: Now yeah, week now nine. it's week nine. Yeah, that's how it Figure works. how yeah. that goes, you know? <laughs> Incredible. but uh, This yeah, is wow, two we're, weeks
0: in a row my team's not playing. Is that? Is that so? Yeah, they didn't show up last week. They're not <laughs> showing up this week. <laughs> that's,
1: that's more like Well, yeah, you know yeah, that's what? That's Baker fair. Mayfield's not going to throw any interceptions this week. So. Hey, that's right. Play off my bake show. All right, let's get to it. Okay, okay.
4: Week 9 in the NFL. We are now past the halfway point. Incredible to think about. But I've got five games here, and I've also got another five-way parlay.
0: I bet you're going to go 5-0 and this week, too, just well, like you did
4: last week. I agree. I'm going to go 5-0 and on the game picks, and I'm going to go 5-0 and on the five-way parlay for a nice, clean 10-0. So game one of week nine that I have here. We've got the New Orleans Saints that are playing at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The spread right now is Tampa Bay minus five and a half money line sitting at minus 227 for Tampa Bay and over under uh, 51 and a half. That's, that's the total amount of points I think the East over court. and
0: under should be 84 because that's the combined age of the two quarterbacks <laughs> starting in that game.
4: That's funny. That, That's a good one that, you know, 51 and a half. This could be a high scoring game, but I feel a little iffy on the spread. I think it's going to be a damn good game. And I would say take Tampa Bay on the money line. Just straight outright win. Yeah.
0: Is is that game going to be on a national TV anywhere? I would assume. I think I know two of the sponsors. One will be Geritol, and the other one will be any kind of walker that you can get (laughs) two guys to sit in. Maybe uh,
4: Depends. (laughs) Depends will be up
0: there. You know, Geritol. I mean, you know, Metamucil. I mean, (laughs) you kind of just keep throwing it. You know, it might get so crappy by the end, they might need pepto Yeah,
4: you don't know. You don't know. It's really... Could be a crapshoot with this. Could be a a uh,
0: crap show, crapshoot. Yeah,
4: Yeah. but... yeah, I take I take Tampa Bay on the money line there at minus two twenty seven. I think it's a little bit safer than the spread. Although I am a big spread guy, you know that. Well, you know I'm it. telling you,
0: there's like nothing it. like a big spread. Get let in there try. and spread it. I'm telling you, yeah. there's nothing better than dipping the carrots in that uh, <laughs> that ranch dip. I mean, tell, <laughs> let me tell you.
2: Sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. You told me. I did.
4: Uh, game number two. We got the Don't ball. Don't ask from- me to show you. I won't do that. <laughs> I so, would never no, do that. No,
0: you're not gonna look.
4: Game number two, we got the Baltimore Ravens playing at the Indianapolis Colts. Hold this, on a minute. Okay. I
0: think Rory's got a little infatuation going over here for Antonio Brown. Really? And I think that he's going to be watching intently and closely at that Tampa Bay Buccaneer game. I
2: mean, wow.
1: uh, Malcolm Jenkins versus Antonio Brown, that's going to be a matchup. It'll on, be fun to watch. Night. I mean... We'll see. We'll see what happens. But I think there's a there's a ticker on Antonio Brown, and I don't know what yeah, it is. I, don't I think, think he's ready yet. Uh, well, Arian's Arian said 10
4: to 30, 35 plays. Yeah. Um, I think they should just throw him out there.
0: I I heard they're gonna actually let him try out in the flag team that's in <laughs> Tampa Bay to see how he does. Just to make huh. sure he's ready to go. Interesting. So yeah, it's gonna be that's very unique. Interesting. Yeah. Wow uh but either
4: way wow, ga- see you're enthralled wow i wow. wow wow okay so we have gotten through one game now so i'm gonna move on to game number two what? <laughs> yeah. uh baltimore ravens at the indianapolis colts the spread baltimore favored at minus two and a half the money line is baltimore at minus 143 Indy at plus 120 and the over under sitting at 46 and a half right now again I think this could be a sneaky good game. I really like Baltimore, but you know they. Sometimes it's just they're amazing on offense, and sometimes they struggle a little bit. You know.
1: I think uh, I, I think, think Jackson's gonna struggle this week. Yeah. It's a cold defense.
4: It could be. It could be so. Both the defenses are pretty solid, and and that's why I'm not gonna mess with the over/under. But. I would take Baltimore on the money line.
0: I'm kind of torn about this game.
4: I would assume you are.
0: I'm really kind of torn. Yeah?
1: Let us know why.
4: What's going on over
0: there? Well, the team that I like, uh, they beat the Colts Mm head-to-head, so it gives them the tiebreaker there should the two teams tie. Mm. And since Baltimore is in the same division as my beloved Browns, if the Baltimore Colts, excuse me, Indianapolis Colts do Mm -hmm. win that game, Against Baltimore. See it's all screwed up there. Yeah. So if the Ravens lose, then they have three losses as does my Yeah, okay, forget it. I see where you're going though. Yeah, and you I smell think with the, the daddy's, browns, daddy's cooking. Browns. Browns, browns browns. browns. Well. Is there any other color, any other team? I think not. Uh, I think uh, not. Uh, well, I mean, game- you should know what orange means to you. Orange means a lot to me. See? There you go. Yeah.
4: Okay. But uh, game number three, we've got we've got some blues, we've got some greens, we've got some red. So it seems like there might be some other colors. And game number three is Seattle playing... And the
1: Bills. Yeah,
4: that's right. At Buffalo, uh, spread right now is Seattle at minus three. This is another game that's going to be... I would assume, pretty darn good.
0: And this is in Seattle?
4: No, this oh, is at this is Buffalo. Off, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, which which is a, a big deal for this game. But uh, money line, Seattle minus 154. Buffalo plus 130 over under sitting at 54.5. I like the spread. Take Seattle at minus three. I think probably at the worst, that's going to be a push. Um, sorry to say, Roar, but... You know, Josh I, Allen's been...
1: I just don't disagree. I, I just don't agree. I don't agree yeah, with you that, don't Yeah, you don't disagree. Uh, I Josh, Josh Allen's going to get himself back in the MVP conversation. Okay, I think the exact day. opposite
4: okay. is going to happen. And Seattle really doesn't even have that good of a defense, but uh, I don't think it's going to matter. So I'd take Seattle minus three on the spread there. I don't want to hear it right.
1: Don't listen game, to
4: him. Game number four. We got the Carolina Panthers playing at the Kansas City Chiefs. Spread minus 10.5 for Kansas City. Minus 556 on the money line. And the over under 52.5. I like the spread. Minus 10.5. I, I have a feeling Kansas City is just going to roll through this Panthers defense. And uh, put up a lot of points. And they're going to they're gonna cover that 10.5 spread. And then... I'll leave you with game number five. The Houston, Texas playing at the Jacksonville Jaguars. There's a lot of potential. Wake me up when the game's <laughs> yes, over. Sir. It's definitely uh, not a matchup of two powerhouses, but uh, a kind of a kind of an intriguing matchup. Houston has... I think I
0: know why you think it's intriguing, <laughs> and I would agree. Well there seldom is any six foot seven quarterbacks yeah. that are not named Oswater.
4: Yeah, Houston uh, just hasn't quite been what I think they expected themselves to be, and uh, Jacksonville got an interesting
0: situation at the quarterback position. I think Luton's going to get the start. Jake Luton. I, I'm looking forward to Jake Luton starting. Yeah, and I'm going to say the same thing. And on Old Fart Sports mm-hmm. that I said about Derek Anderson okay. that that guy is going to be around the National Football League for a decade. I because agree. Because of the strength of his arm and the ability. He might not as have a, the same arm strength that Derek had. No, he doesn't. But he's going to be good enough and solid enough to yeah. be a camp arm and then much more than that going forward. And he may be in my opinion at least a little bit more capable
4: with the legs. Mm-hmm. But um, I just have a feeling that uh, he might be around for 10 years, but I don't know if he's uh, gonna be starting too many games. And, and, and that's, you know, not a bad thing. If you can stick around in the NFL for a decade, whether you started or you didn't, that's awesome. But I think uh, the old NFL debut may not go so well for old Luton, as much as it pains my heart to say it. And I would take Houston at minus six and a half on the spread.
0: You know, Park, when we talk about guys that have been around the National Football League for a long time, all you have to do is look at Chase Daniel. Mm -hmm. There's a guy that may have started, maybe, I mean, you might have enough fingers and toes to figure out how many games the guys played in. Yeah. That would be 20 for those of you that might be missing something. Yeah. But, you know, um, you look at Chase Daniel, and he's a guy who has been around... Made a hell of a lot of money. As a yeah. matter of fact, I think he's made more money per start than any other quarterback that's <laughs> ever played in the NFL. <laughs> yeah, incredible. he's just like, you know, there was like four or five years where he didn't even play a game. Yeah, I don't, so. I,
4: I don't care what anybody says. You can talk as much shit as you want about mm-hmm. any backup quarterback and say how much they suck, but you know what? They're out there making millions of dollars if they can stay in the league for a
0: while. So I'm gonna you give doing you what scary, they love. I'm gonna yeah. give both of you guys a scary freaky thought. Let's do Let's it. Hear it. How many games does an NFL quarterback play in a season? If they play all, all the games, they're playing 16, right? Yes. Yeah. If they play Correct. 10 years, they have 160 operations. Correct. How many does a brain surgeon have in one year? He's got 240. I looked this up the other day. No, I was not curious. Not it's, I need a brain surgery wow. pretty soon. You know, you can tell it's going on. You know, it's uh, like, you know, something's happening here. So, yeah. But anyway, you... What would you rather do? Would you rather have a starting quarterback operate on your brain, or would you rather have a brain surgeon? Probably a, bra- a brain, brain surgeon. A brain yeah, surgeon. Yeah. See, so. so yeah, kind of, you know, figure that one out. Yeah. But when you really think about it, you know, there's only so many jobs in the NFL. There's only so many opportunities, and if a guy sucks, he sucks. Right. But if a guy can hang in there and be Chase Daniel for. 14 years and play 22 games in the NFL and exactly. make $68 million, more power to the guy. <laughs> yeah. He's probably got two exactly. or three dogs yeah. at home. Yeah, I don't think oh, he Hells can. to the yeah, as our friend hells Park to would. the yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think, uh,
4: you know, those guys probably hear a lot of the trash talk, but I don't think they give a rip.
0: They probably there's... don't hear too much trash talk right now. Yeah. They probably hear fake noise. Right.
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a great Daniel Tosh bit about that, about how you're a backup quarterback, or if you're a quarterback on the practice squad, you're still going to play. I mean, if you're making $500,000, who cares? Yeah, I mean, come on. What a living.
0: You know, uh, one of the things that happened is we got a, a plethora of emails that came in about the show this week, right. and much of it was about you guys. They oh. wanted to know about particular favorites that you guys have of athletes, okay. teams, experiences they want to know a little bit more about the wet ones okay so let's go to rory you're not done yet oh my god God. before before we get too far into that part
4: i just want to make our fans some money you know so i'm gonna leave them with a nice clean five-way parlay take them all on the money line just outright wins kansas city pittsburgh new england houston green bay
0: mic drop so what were you saying Kevin I forgot it was a long time ago I forgot <laughs> some emails something about emails. deleted there some, emails there were some emails that came in and they were wanting to know more about it. the wet ones okay they were wanting to know like favorite athletes favorite teams mm-hmm. favorite sports memories mm-hmm. least favorite sports memory those kind of <coughs> things so yeah let, <coughs> why let's do you something? let's do rock paper scissors up oh, you won
1: I won that's right uh, game of one. Well, I can give you something. Okay. This day in history.
0: Okay.
1: November 4th, 2009. Guess what happened, guys? I know. What's that? It
0: you is. don't know. You don't know what happened. Your, Yankees, your pumpkin that year was rotten. No. Nope. Well, that November. might have been
1: true as well. But guess what? My beloved Yankees won a World Series championship against... The Philadelphia Phillies, your beloved Yankees? Yes. Like my you're beloved. the only
0: guy that would have I'm, a I'm, beloved Yankees.
1: Yes, that's that's right. That's right. Do you say yutes? Uh, <laughs> my cousin Vinny does. Ah, uh, bada, bing, bada boom, ah. bada bing, bada boom. But in this series, it was a great game. Game six. I was in Denver, Colorado with a bunch of Phillies fans from South Jersey. I'm so, sorry. oh my gosh, it was a terrible, Why were terrible you there? Thing. I was there for a wedding. Oh, okay. I wasn't getting married, but my, one of my cousins <laughs> was. Anyways. Is it Denny? <laughs> uh, Hideki H- Matsui. Yeah. Great Zun-hide. game. <laughs> Hideki Matsui had a great Zun-hide game again. in game six. Three home runs, World Series MVP. They win the World Series against the Phillies. Three but home
4: runs in the series? Or? No,
1: Game 6. Oh. Three home runs in Game 6 on November 4th, 2009. And that's when they won it. They did. Wow. They did win that game. But one thing that's interesting about this series, and it kind of relates to the past World Series of 2020. Okay. The management of Charlie Manuel in Game 6 when he didn't pitch Cliff Lee. Mm. Cliff Lee won Game 1 and Game 5. And those are the two games four. that he pitched in that in that series. Four. Five Pedro Mar... Game won. five or four? He won game five and game one huh. in the World Series.
4: So Pedro won.
1: Martinez goes out in game six, Showed you. pitches four innings, gives up four runs. They had the opportunity to bring Cliff Lee in. They didn't. He pitched yeah. the night before, though. But he was 4-0 in the playoffs their best pitcher on the roster. Why do you save him for game seven when you gotta win game six? Same thing with Blake Snell. You take him out early, why do you do that? You gotta ride your horse. You gotta do it. I mean, come on. I can see the similarity there, but I thought that he pitched in game four. He pitched in game five. But, so, I mean, you gotta throw him game. in. You put Pedro in, a legend, Boston Red Sox legend. Yeah. used uh, Montreal Expo. But you gotta go to him. I mean, he's your best pitcher on the staff. You're about to go out. You're about to lose. Mm. I mean, come on. You gotta go to your guy. So that that's the day in history in 2009, November 4th, the um, Yankees won the World Series So well, and for, the mismanagement of so, Charlie Manuel.
4: So what you're saying to the fans who are inquiring about uh, the people we like, our favorite memories is? you're a Yankee fan.
1: That's right. Okay. That's right. And this is a great day to celebrate. And you're
4: not. Well, I'm definitely not that. Yeah. In fact, I am a Red Sox fan. My my uh, my beloved mother grew up in Maine, in Brunswick, Maine. Uh, great just, hockey town. Mm-hmm. Just a ways outside of Portland, Maine. hmm And uh, so, yeah, my, I mean, I still got family back on the East Coast. Maine, Boston, and uh, that's my team, Boston Red Wait, Sox. What team? Boston Red Sox.
0: Do those people park the car on the corner, and that's why they call it a corner car? Yeah, corner car.
4: And, uh, you know, when, uh, when the wind gets blowing and the and, and the air is cold, it's a wicked pisser.
0: I'm telling you, it's a wicked pisser. Anytime that you got a pisser that's wicked, yeah. you, you got a wicked pisser. <laughs>
4: But uh, yeah, for you know any of the fans out there who want to know a little bit about uh, the wet one, P Huff, uh, grew up in the suburbs of Portland and Boston fan. I kind of root for the for the Mariners as well because of the the regional uh, connection, but uh, went to Oregon State as did my father and uh, a couple of his. Uh, siblings, so definitely a big Oregon State guy, and uh, NFL. I'm I'm kind of impartial. Again, kind of leaning towards the Seahawks because of the regional connection. But uh, yeah, that's really that's really me. Red Sox, Beavers, and of course uh, the Portland Trail Blazers. So those are, that's kind of where I am in, in terms of sports and 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 how I got there.
0: Uh-huh. So anyway, I think it's been real. It's definitely been fun.
1: It's been real fun. And
0: we're going to do it again next week. You better be with us.
2: This has been a Podland Productions production. Recorded at Downstairs Studio in Portland, Oregon. For more information on Podland and for more Podland podcasts, go to podland.productions. While you're there, Subscribe to the email newsletter for sneak peeks, giveaways, and more. Thanks for listening.
0: Bottling Productions.